0: Dismissed to the children's church and toddler's church and the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be starting out with a a very familiar passage of Scripture, but uh, uh, if you like a title for the message, this morning's title is simply Living by Faith, and that's been our theme uh, for this year, the just shall live by his faith. Let's not forget that little uh, 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 pronoun in there. That's Habakkuk 2, 4, and that pronoun means the faith has got to be personal. You can't live by someone else's faith. Oh, you can try, but mom and dad, when you stand before God, are not going to get you into heaven your children are not going to get you into heaven. The, the people you know and and love, no one can get you into heaven except your personal faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And how do we get faith? Let's just go over this again. Faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. It's it's that simple. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever struggled trying to live the Christian life? I mean, if you haven't, that's because you weren't doing it. Amen. Uh, the Christian life is uh, a struggle. It it does not happen by accident. And uh, so many times we deal with with people, and and one of the Questions that I like to ask is, do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? Do you know for sure your heaven, that heaven will be your eternal home? And and it's amazing as as I think about this over the years that uh, it used to be when I was a, a young man just out of Bible college, most people would go, well, I'm not sure. You know, today when I ask that question, about ninety percent of people say, Well, yeah. I say, What do you base that on? Well well, I, I believe in Jesus. And yet if we were to ask nine out of ten people walking down the sidewalk today, do you believe in Jesus? I, I'd probably still say even even in New York City we would get a vast majority, eight Seven, eight out of ten people. Uh, we're always going to find those few that, oh, I, I hate Jesus. Well, be my guest. Uh, we, we're not here to force anything on anyone, but if you want that, that knowledge of your eternity, uh, you better have something more to base it on than to hope so. Amen? Uh, Years ago, I read an article just to illustrate the absurdity of the point here was uh, it was in a hunting magazine and uh, and uh, the guy was trying to be funny. I didn't think it was very funny, but the title of the article was you need to spend more time determining your hunting buddies than you do your wife. And he went through all the dangers that could happen to you by picking the wrong hunting partners, being shot, and all these other things. And how simple it was to be married compared to living with your hunting partners for three days. And I'm sitting here going, okay, okay, I see the attempt. Uh, either you have a very poor marriage or just a very poor understanding of life. And yet, most of us would spend more time and effort seeking a wife or or a husband than we would in understanding our eternal security. Hello? It got quiet. That meant everybody understood. You see... Your eternity is the number one decision that you make in your life. And sometimes we are guilty of trivializing the gospel by just presenting salvation as praying a prayer. Now, we need to be careful because it's not prayer that saves you. What is it? Ephesians chapter 2. Let's, let's read it. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's where we're starting this morning because without salvation... You're not living. You see, you're, you're alive. Your body is alive. But you were born spiritually dead. You were born in the image of Adam. Adam, in the day that he and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died. That's what the Bible says. God told them, in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. How many of you believe the Word of God? Say, Amen. Raise your hand. Something. Go, oh, Yes. Uh, if you believe the Word of God, they die. But the next chapter, we have Adam live in 130 years before Seth is born. How did that work? Well, if you'll read very carefully, most of you know this, familiar with but let's just repeat it again. Adam was created... In the image of God. But when Adam gave birth to Seth, the Bible says he was in the image of Adam. Ah. Something changed, didn't it? And it fits in perfectly with the rest of the Bible that says, I was dead in trespasses and sins. I was born a sinner. I was born in the image of Adam that was marred by sin. There was no part of me that can relate to God. That's what the Spirit is all about. That's why when you get saved, God says that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He restores us to that original image as much as is possible so that we can have direct contact with God. And that leads us to one of the things that sets Baptists apart from all other quote-unquote Protestant and Christian religions is we believe that the individual believer has direct contact with God. There are no priests in the Baptist church unless you understand the fact that every believer is a priest. We, that's what we call it, the priesthood of the believer. How does that happen? The Bible says, For by grace... Are ye saved through faith? Now, grace, very simple, is God's favor. How do you think we get this book called the Bible? That's God's grace. You read your Bible. How many of you, before, remember before you were saved, how many of you ever felt guilty about doing something wrong? You know what that was? That was the grace of God tapping you on the shoulder saying, You need me to take away your sin. You see, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's the book of Titus. There's not a person that has ever lived that has not felt that touch of the Holy Spirit of God saying, You need to do something about it. And we're not going to take time to answer the questions of the Aborigines and all of those peoples that, as far as we know, do not have the Word of God because we have to trust the unknown to someone. And I'll trust the character of God rather than the reasoning of man any day of the week. See, that's what faith is about. The grace of God is His Goodness to us. Unmerited favor is the textbook definition. Something that we do not deserve. But that grace will not be appropriated to your life personally until it's His faith. Her faith. Personal pronoun. Faith. That's why the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. I've met so many people over the years who say, well, pastor, I, I pray to be saved every day. That's not faith, my friend. That's hope so. Why do you repeat something over and over again? I'll tell you, as a father, I, I am well versed in repetition. Amen, Philip? Yes. Philip is a special student of repetition. Meaning that he didn't do it the first time. So we're going to give him a second opportunity. We repeat. The reason why we ask God over and over again to save us is because we honestly, if we'll be honest, have no faith to believe that he did what he said he would do. That's not salvation. And when you stand before God, you're going to wish that you had made your eternity secure by taking advantage of God's grace through faith. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. We have a newborn in our auditorium this morning. The little baby is there as a testimony to life. Amen? But that baby had a birthday. A very most special birthday. Those of you that know, the baby was born on my birthday. And it's mine because I was there first. And we're not going to talk about by how many, okay? But anyway... We'll have a little fun this morning. But it illustrates the point because there must be a point in time where life begins or it's not a birth. That means there had to be a point where that little person was not. And if you'll stop and think, there's a point in time where every one of us in this room was not. It was before we were born. How many of you remember the day you were born again? When you appropriated God's grace by your personal faith. And as John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Years ago, I was sharing that verse with a person And they said, oh, but I do that every time I take Mass at the church. I said, well, that's not what the verse says, now is it? The verse says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that, what's the next word? Believe on his name. Well, I believed on his name, but... You see, the Roman Catholic Mass does not promise salvation. Otherwise, it would be a one-time event. It only gives you a little bit of it. That's why you have to repeat it over and over again. And you can't get a little bit born, my friend. You're either all the way alive or you're not. There's no in-between. And by grace through faith, God gives you Eternal life. And by the way, read the rest of the passage there. What is the next phrase? For by grace are you saved through faith. What's that next phrase? And that not of yourselves. You know, the biggest enemy you have between you and eternity is you. Is thinking about you. Is thinking about what you want. This is the whole reason we reject the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church. The, the main idea behind those books is that God will give you what is in your heart. I am so thankful that God has rewritten my heart. That God has not given me what I wanted in my heart. That He gave me what He wanted for my heart. You know, God has so much better sense in how to live a life than I ever possibly could. Uh, I would. Many of you have heard my testimony over the years, and I was reminded the church we were in last week, the the preacher wanted us out there to just share the history of what God has done here and try to encourage their younger church and, and, and just seeking God's blessings and missions and giving and trying to get a building and many of these other things that the Lord... Has blessed here at Open Door in a most miraculous way. But I had my life all cho- chosen when I was 15 years old. I wanted to go to Annapolis Naval Academy, become an officer in the Marine Corps, and several years ago I would have retired and moved to Canada as close to the Tundra Line as I could, and still have trees and live there all by myself, just reading books. And hunting and fishing. That Doesn't that sound good? I, I mean, I had it all planned out. Instead, God moved me to the most crowded place on the face of the earth. He made me a preacher. And just in case the city wasn't enough, He gave me 12 kids to make sure that the house would never be empty. Amen? Last Monday night, we had everybody together there in Sarah's little apartment, except for Peter, of course, who lives in Washington. And that was, oh, the noise level. Uh, I hope we didn't get her moved out of her apartment. But uh, uh, we had all the kids there and, and uh, two of the four grandkids. And, all oh, that was just a special, special birthday. I just enjoyed that. That was the present more than anything, was just having everybody together. And it was so much fun. And I'm telling you that God's plan for your life is so much better than anything you could ever imagine. But you won't get there until you get saved first. And you'll never find what God wants you to do until you let Him handle your eternal security. How many of you have ever had doubts about your salvation? Just, just raise your hand. Give a testimony. Let's be honest this morning. If you've had doubts about your salvation, I have. And, and the Lord's allowed me to help many people that raise their hand, deal with the doubts that they were having about their salvation. There are two reasons you doubt your salvation. One is... It's the Holy Spirit of God telling you that your hope is not truly based upon the Word of God. That you do not have salvation. The other is because you are saved, but you've allowed sin to come into that relationship between you and God. And you don't feel saved anymore. You've got to deal with that. Because you cannot serve God. You cannot live by faith, worrying about your salvation. That's what Hebrews chapter 6, one of the most misunderstood chapters in all the Bible, that's simply what it's talking about. Because there are those who spend their entire relationship with Christ trying to earn a salvation that cannot be earned. And what they end up doing is re-crucifying Jesus over and over again. Now we're not going to take time to go through that passage expositionally and build that all up, but I trust if you'll read Hebrews 6, you'll see that. And that is the pattern of the Orthodox, Catholic faiths, and many of the Protestant faiths have fallen back on that same Paradigm, that same pattern, your entire relationship with God is just trying to get saved. That's not Bible. That's not faith. That's nothing except turmoil and doubt and fear. Why would you trust your eternity with another human being? according to the word of God, you can trust your eternity in the one who lives forever, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very, very clear. The reason I'm preaching this sermon this morning is, I believe the Lord wants me to, is because the Bible is very, very clear that there's going to be many people who attend church all their life. There's going to be many people who walk the Christian life, the best they absolutely can. And in that day, they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. That's Matthew chapter 7. Those are harsh words. And this church exists to help us deal with the truths that are in Scripture So that when we stand before God, when you are personally called into question, your reliance is going to be upon God's grace. Appropriated to your life personally through faith. And all God's people said. You see, that is salvation. It doesn't come from you. It's not yours. Someone said, preacher, you're trying to scare me out of my salvation. Well, if it's a fake one, I hope it works. Amen? But if it's the real thing, I can't scare you out of it because it's eternal. And the only hope that you can have, the only security that you can have, I did what the Bible said. It doesn't say, for by grace might ye be saved through faith. You see, God's in the saving business. He wants to save you. God is looking. He has taken away every excuse for you to miss eternity. It's us who puts the excuses in. It's us as human beings who try to confound the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. And it does not hurt those that have been saved for a very long time to be reminded that it's God's goodness through faith that we're saved. It's nothing that I have done. God does not save you by what you've done. He does not keep you saved by what you can do. It's all about Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard me use that phrase? It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. So many times people come, Pastor, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And I don't want to be rude, but I already know where you're coming from. I already understand. But you don't know what I've personally been through. No. I don't need to know what you've personally been through because it all ends up at the same place. It makes you in need of God's grace appropriated to your life through faith. And you know, once that happens, what you've done, the wounds that you have received, and given all under the blood of Jesus Christ and it really doesn't matter anymore who and what you are and were because if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new can we say amen to that you say but sometimes it doesn't look like it preacher that's okay okay God's the one who does the looking. Amen? God's the one who does the defining. And faith allows me to trust God with my eternity to the point to where I'm not worried about it anymore. You see, this gives me freedom. All religion has to offer is bondage. many of you are familiar with the Buddhist faith? Talk about bondage. They give up meat. They give up human relationships and live in a monastery all by themselves. Uh, They have to vow chastity to never uh, marry. They have to sit there and give up their own thought process that's what the mantras are all about it's just simple brainwashing and repeating the same things over and over and over again uh, until you make them happen whoa wait a minute uh, most of the time we repeat things over and over again until we believe they're true whether they are or they're not how many of you stood before the mirror there's no gray hair in here not one I'm not getting older. Boy, I look pretty good for my age. You have to be careful. But we we do these things in a very simple way, and yet there are people that are going to miss eternity because of the same thing. Could I tell you the number one... Well, let's, let's go to the next verse here. Let's go to... Romans chapter 14. And in Romans chapter 14, Paul is finishing a a complete discussion about living by faith. In the earlier chapters of the book of Romans, he deals with the issue of salvation. Now he's dealing with... uh, Verse one: Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Uh, there are things that 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 we ought to question, and then there are things that we ought not to question. Uh, I've had people come and say, "Well, I'm saved, but you know, I really have a problem believing in the existence of God." So, oh, uh, uh, can we just can we just take this and turn this around a little bit? You can't possibly be saved and doubt the existence of God. I received a phone call two or three in the mornings many years ago, someone that no longer attends our church. And the woman was just weeping, and she says, Pastor, I'm just so afraid God's going to judge me. I'm just so, 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 I can't even sleep. I haven't slept for several days and and I'm just afraid that God is going to, that God is going to get me somehow. And I called her name and I said, listen, I said, you need to understand something. If that is your understanding of God, you're not saved. Things got real quiet on the phone and she said, I think you're right. Pastor, can I get saved? I said, that's not up to me, that's up to God. I said, God does not hate you. He loved you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. Can you understand that? Oh, well, yeah. That makes so much sense. I said, you're, you're believing in yourself and in your works, and you're so concerned about what you do. This is what this verse means about doubtful disputations. People all the time questioning things. People accuse us of having a blind faith. Well, if Jesus Christ died on the cross, if God loved me that much, when He puts a little suffering in my life, when something doesn't happen the way I would like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn a blind eye to my feelings. Because faith demands that God has a reason and a purpose, though He may never explain those to me. He's not under an obligation, and I'm getting ahead in the sermon this morning, but it's time for us. You see, here's the last verse. Let's read it. The last verse of chapter 14. And He's talking about allowing things and... and, and uh, uh, eating meat and these different things in the Bible, and it says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You know what? That would solve the diet problem right there now, wouldn't it? If we simply ate by faith. You know what, I couldn't open a bag of cookies and sit there and eat the whole bag by faith because I know that God is not going to bless that. It's going to show up somewhere else, make me look like a cookie, right? Faith is such a simple thing. You see, when you got saved, if you are biblically saved this morning, what did you surrender by faith to God? everything hello your entire life how many of you have expended great time and effort trying to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up and by the way you can still be 40 years old and try to figure out what you're going to do when you grow up now can't you why is it so quiet We all know people. That's why they offer general studies at college. Do you know what a degree in general studies is worth? It's not worth the paper that it's written on. Trust me. If you look up in the one ads. We want someone with a degree in, and they list it, and or experience in, Never once has there been a one ad. We want a graduate of general studies. There's been a lot that says, we'll teach you if you're willing to learn. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. But you see, faith, faith in God is the answer for every major question in life. Faith in God. You see, the Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Do you live by faith? I would hope and pray that you come to church by faith. Because if you don't, Someone or something, me included, is going to get you upset and you're going to be gone. But if you come to church by faith, that allows you to put up with the little disruptions of life because the Bible tells us we're supposed to be assembled together as a local body of believers. The body of Jesus Christ. The local Church, not the universal invisible that does not exist. Someone says, well, what about the church in heaven? Well, didn't you just answer that question? Where is it? Well, it's in heaven. Well, isn't it local in heaven? Aren't they all in the same place? That's beside the point. No, it's not beside the point. It is a local church. The only church that can be is local because a body that's all over the place, is dead it might be an autopsy might be the result of an explosion but life only happens when the whole body is connected together in one place working together that's life that's what the church is all about that's why you as a Christian need to be a part of a Bible believing church You say, well, I've never found a church that I could really be a part of. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're willing to allow us to learn how to put up with you, you'll learn how to put up with us. Could I say it any simpler than that? You see, because the people that are here and have stayed are here for one reason. Obedience to the words of God. Can we say amen to that? And that's what faith is all about. You see, true biblical faith removes the question of what I should do with my life. It answers that question. True biblical faith removes the question Of who I will marry. Of who I or if I will stay single. Because God will deal with that in your heart and in your life. And let me tell you, you'll be pleased, more pleased, and have a greater level of joy being obedient to God than anything else you can possibly find in your life. So that's easy for you to say. You're married, yeah, but do you want all the? You want all twelve kids? (sighs) Okay. Well, that's my faith and my life, not yours. We live as individuals. I've had people accuse me. Say you just believe you should have all the kids you possibly can. No, I don't. We prayed, Lord, give us the ones you want. We don't want any extras. Honest and true. And He didn't. But sometimes it's only one. Sometimes it's none. Can you live by faith? Or are you going to try to make it happen yourself? Because if you are, you're going to sin. Because whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. But when we sin... 1 John chapter 1. Most of you are very familiar with these passages. But let's turn there. 1 John. If you got the revelation, you got too far. If you're still in James and Peter, you're not far enough. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read three verses 8 through 9, 8 through 10. Strife is ending and say, well, let's, let's bury the hatchet. How many of you have heard that phrase? And uh, then there's an adjoinder to that. No one buries the hatchet until they've drawn a very careful map so they can find it again if they need it. And, and that is more true about life than we wish it was. How many of you have had... A visit to the graveyard of forgiven sins. You know, that's a place that God never goes. It says, He has separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad He didn't say the north from the south? Because you can go north until you find a place. Now, if you have a compass, it's the magnetic north pole. If you have a computer program with all of the analyst analytic uh, statistical analysis and all of those things you can find the true north pole. And once you get there no matter what direction you go you're going to be heading south. But Jesus said the east is from the west. Do you know that you will never find west? by heading east our space shuttle travels at 22,000 miles per hour crosses the united states in less than 3 minutes and when it goes up east when it went up east we don't have them anymore except in museums it landed heading east they, can't turn, they could not turn the thing around. You see, we do not forgive others, or we do it temporarily, or we forgive ourselves temporarily, but God forgives us. And the only way that you can know and trust that forgiveness is through faith. Do you know, if we could take that kind of faith and inject it into marriages, it would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? Every time I do something wrong, he or she will remember All of the things that have happened for the last 25 years. Don't raise your hand. But it happens in families. That's one of the problems with funerals and weddings. is all the problems from the past how many ever years come to the surface. And people try to make things right that can't be made right. Sometimes they try to keep things wrong that uh, it's, it's a terrible thing. But you can have forgiveness through faith. The God through Jesus Christ. And here's the basis. See, faith always has a basis in reality. It's not just to hope so. Jesus paid the price for every sin on the cross. It was paid for before you were born. If you can't trust God to forgive, you need to go back and check your salvation. Because you had to surrender that in order to be saved. Can we say amen to that? That's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you can't forgive others... Listen, how many of you are glad that God has forgiven you your sins against God? Do you realize that same God paid for the sins of others against you? And guess what? He also paid for your sins against others. Does that mean we should be callous and just walk around as if we don't know? Sometimes there's things that we need to do. If you've stolen money from someone, pay it back. If you want to do it right, give them interest. That's what the bank expects, amen? But if you've said something or done something, the only thing you can do is ask forgiveness. You cannot demand other people forgiving you. Because the only way you can truly forgive another human being is to go to Jesus first and get His forgiveness. And then you can take that forgiveness that He's given you and give it to others. We don't forgive based on our goodness. We forgive based on the payment that Jesus Christ made on the cross. You see, that's biblical forgiveness. That's forgiveness by faith. And that frees my heart and my mind from all of these ulterior motives and all of these things that hinder and destroy relationships here on earth. It makes you simple like a little child. Because little children don't remember things. They forget so easily. Isn't that wonderful? And that happens through faith. Our last one this morning, I'll be very short, because we've already covered most of it, is simply hope. You see, I have a faith in Jesus Christ that saved me on August 28, 1977. That was a long time ago. I had to deal with some doubts. But you know what the problem was? It was because what I was living wasn't by faith, it was sin. And that hindered my trust and my faith relationship with God. And I confessed that sin. And I trusted His forgiveness for that sin. And that gives me hope for the future. You know what? That gives me hope in what I am doing as the pastor of a church to be the very thing that God wants my life to be about. Now, I could tell you the stories of all the miracles that God has done to give us the building, all the things that we've experienced just this past 12 months, there are 10 months with Union Baptist Church, how the Lord's miraculously provided money and and, and uh, kept us from falling off the scaffolding and let us do work that, that uh, really ought to have been done by professionals, but uh, it actually turned out just as good or better than the professionals, most of it. It's an amazing thing, and it's not because of my ability or anything. It's because the Lord has done that. You see, let's turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, and again, I, I wish we had time and to to make this. We could make this sermon a whole series and spend a whole sermon on each point, but I trust that you'll fill in the blanks and and read these passages. But in verse 4, Paul was talking about the Colossian church, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all saints, for the hope which is laid up before you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, Paul's saying, listen, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and that faith in Christ Jesus has manifested itself in love for the brethren, in love for the other members of your church there in the town of Colossus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He said, and the whole reason you're doing this is because you have a hope laid up for you called heaven. If we're going to live with each other for all eternity, maybe we should learn to get along with each other a little better here on earth. Amen. Uh, it, it just may be uh, to to your benefit. And let's skip down to verse um, uh, verse twenty three. Here's what it says: If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, the wording there may be a little difficult at the first reading, but simply what it's saying is, Paul said, I've suffered many things in the flesh for the sake of the gospel. And it's no big deal. Because my suffering has promoted your faith in the gospel. My preaching has promoted... And Paul did not start the church of Colossus. It was a town that he never visited. He he had been in, in another town that was not too far away... And they they said, no, I'm sorry, I'm mixing that up. It's Laodicea that Paul never was at. But uh, he started this church and it went forward. But Paul suffered a lot. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was chased from town to town. He was called everything under the sun except what he was, a minister of faith that comes from God. You see, in this life, we spend our greatest effort struggling with those things which are worthless. And the least amount of effort struggling with those things which are most important. See, faith switches that around. And faith puts our effort where it's going to make the most difference for eternity. And you see, that gives me hope in a world full of lies. That I can still live the truth. Amen? You see, I have the faith that saves me. I'm grounded. I'm settled. You're not going to convince me that this book is a book of lies because that's not possible. Number one, because I choose believe the Bible is the truth. But number two, because I've examined everyone who's ever claimed that the Bible is full of lies, that I've had any access to their information, and I found out who the liars were. I found out who was changing the meaning of words, who was turning things around. Someone says, well, you got missing parts to your Bible. No, I don't. You go study those people who claimed they found missing parts. How many of you remember the Easter document that was released by a professor at one of the great universities that proved that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene? Does anybody remember that a few years ago? It's a joke. It's completely genuine fraud. It's been proved beyond any shadow of a doubt, any test that you can make a test, But this stupid, ignorant, God-hating woman released it Easter week so she'd get a press release that was against the Bible. You know what? I have no use for liars. Now, don't go home and look that up. You can fact-check me if you want. It's there. But I'll tell you, why don't you fact check the Bible and find out where you're not living by faith? That—that's the kind of struggle that we need to be struggling with. That's the kind—that's where our life effort needs to be found, because we have salvation through faith. It's at God's unmerited favor toward us. He gives it if you will apply it through personal faith. He'll save you. Today, if you're sitting in, the, in your seat and you're saying "Well, I, I, hope, I, I think I did that I would challenge you don't, don't leave until you've settled that thing it's either because you have a fake faith that's not real and God is touching your heart saying you need to get the real thing or it's because you've allowed sin into your life to hinder your faith relationship with God and see here's how you can tell What have you done in your life that's not by faith? What have you trusted in your own ability to do instead of asking God to help you do it? Well, then, let's go to the next step. If we confess our sins, He is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you let God forgive you? Will you trust God to forgive those that have hurt you? Sometimes this last one's the most difficult. Can you trust God to forgive you for the things you've done to hurt others? Forgiveness is forgiveness. It really is not directional other than toward God, no matter who else is hurt. But you've got to put that, if you can't put forgiveness and faith together, you need to check what kind of salvation you have. Now, are you living a life of despair? I mean, if you look around you at world events, that that would be the first response that I would have. My heart is broken over this presidential race. I, I can't believe in an America that has allowed these candidates to be the representative of our people. I, I don't understand that. I don't want to. But I'll tell you what. My hope isn't in the White House, praise God. And it's not just because of the inhabitant. My hope wasn't in the White House when Ronald Reagan was in the White House. My hope wasn't in the White House at any time in American history. My hope has always been in the church of Jesus Christ, influencing people to live a life by faith. And all God's people say. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come